Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have a returning guest, uh, Ethan Siegel. He's a physicist, and he's recently just released a new book called Trechnology, the Science of Star Trek from Tricorders to Warp Drive. And I've talked to Ethan a whole bunch of times. He's a very well-spoken physicist. He's much easier to understand than many of the ones that I've spoken to. And I'm excited to talk about his new book. So, Ethan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Rich. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. I also like Star Trek. You know, I guess maybe that makes me a nerd, but uh, I've loved Star Trek for many years. So it's really cool that you're putting out uh, a book like this. You know, just letting listeners know, uh, we're doing this interview literally right when it came out because uh, it was hard to wait. So I'm, I should be getting my copy in a day or so, but it's not going to stop me from asking them about the book. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. So, you know, you do a deal with physics every day. Why write a book on the science of Star Trek? What attracted you to it in the first place? You know, first off, you know, a lot of people I know of that are scientists today, Star Trek was the thing that got me into science, was, got, was that got them into science. And for me, it's actually the other way around. I got into science because um, I was just fascinated with how the world worked and how the universe worked and what was going on on the smallest scales and the largest scales and the earliest times and what's happening in the far future. So when Star Trek The Next Generation came out and I started watching that, uh, that was my first introduction to it, my love of science was what got me into Star Trek, that I was just captivated by this vision of the future where where it wasn't some dystopia, it wasn't people fighting for their lives, it wasn't people fighting against some great oppressive power. Instead, this was a future where humanity had developed science, had developed technology for the benefit of all of humanity, that some of the greatest problems that society faced both at the time and throughout history had been solved by advances in science and technology and having those advances and the fruits of those advances be available to everyone, not even only on Earth, but everywhere throughout the Federation. So that was an extremely exciting thing, an eye-opening thing for me to encounter. And that's been a love and a dream that stayed with me, is that as we learn more about the universe and how it works, as we develop more and more applications to better our lives through science and technology, you know, Star Trek was really the first series that I, that I know of that, that gave us that vision. 
And so when I realized, like, wow, it's the 50th anniversary of the original series of Star Trek, that was last year, and this year is the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation, um, I said, you know, we took a look back at all the technologies they envisioned. They were really envisioned as something that was far, far in the future, something that we wouldn't have for hundreds of years, but that we could aspire towards. And yet looking back on it now, um, a huge number of these technologies have come to fruition. Another very large fraction of these technologies are well on their way. So the big question is, you know, can we take an in-depth look at this? Can we take each of these individual technologies, look at the way Star Trek viewed them, how they were used in the Star Trek universe, and then take an example of where the actual science is today. Take a look at where that actual science is, how far we've come, and evaluate, you know, how have we done as compared to Star Trek, and where are we headed for the ones where we're not quite there yet? So that was what I did, was inside this book, we took a look at 28 different technologies that run the gamut from ships technologies to weapons and defense to civilian technologies to medical and Hmm. biological and computing and communications techs and say, how far have we come? Let's evaluate them. Let's see how they were used in Star Trek, and let's see what today's best science has to say about them. You know, let's, I mean, we can't go through all 28, but let's let's go through a few of them. Tell me one that uh, surprised you the most that you thought maybe when you first watched Star Trek The Next Generation you thought was crazy, and now it's actually getting close to reality, or it is reality. You know, I would say that probably there there are a lot of examples. I would say maybe the biggest one that surprised me was the tractor beam. When I first saw the tractor beam, I was like, oh, like this is this is a joke, right? This like the closest thing we'll ever have to a, a tractor beam is like when you take an inflated balloon and you rub it on your shirt and you hold it just like a half an inch away from the wall and you let go and the balloon sticks to the wall. I thought Mm. that was like, that's the best we'll ever do for a tractor beam is to use that Vanderval's force. Um, But wow, I, I turned out to be very, very wrong about that. I was quite surprised to find out, you know, there are these advanced photonics researches going on where what they'll do is they'll take multiple beams of coherent light. And if you target a specific particle with these multiple beams from multiple angles, you can give it a stable point based on what you're doing with the electric and magnetic fields of the light. You know, if they go in phase, if they go out of phase, if you make one field homogeneous, which means even and uniform, while the other one is inhomogeneous, where it has perfections, you can basically pin a particle in place that you can you can say, okay, here's what I'm going to do is I, I see it right over there, and I'm going to tune these these light beams so that if the particle tries to get further away, it's going to pull it back towards me. If it tries to get closer to me, it's going to push it away from me. It's going to hold it in place stably. And then if you adjust that over time, you know, you can say, well, let's just move that stable point closer and closer. That sounds exactly like a tractor beam where you can take an object and hold it in place. 
And with the advances that have been made on this front, with the different ways they've tried to tweak it, they can do this in vacuum where you don't need a medium of, like, atmosphere for your light to travel through. You can do this for macroscopic objects. You can't quite do it for, like, a shuttlecraft size object, but you can do it for you can do it for very, very, um, you know, you can do it for objects that are made out of, you know, billions of atoms and molecules. You can do it for, for macroscopic sized objects. And for me, this is a technology that, wow, like we've really demonstrated the proof of concept with this. The only obstacle now is scaling it up and turning this from a scientifically possible thing into a technology that's in widespread use. Well, so it it sounds like it pins things down, but can it pull them towards another object? Yeah, you can. So that's that's what I was saying, or that was what I was trying to say by saying you, you can set a fixed point based on the light. And so then what you can do is if you slightly tune these fields, you can slowly move that fixed point closer to your location. So where okay. let's say it was let's say it was like ten miles away from you and you know, you slowly make it, okay, now it's going to be 9.99 miles, now it's 9.98 miles, now it's 9.97 miles, and so on, you can slowly drag this object towards you. That's, that's exactly what a tractor beam is, where it can escape, that if it tries to move in any direction away from this fixed point, the beam itself is going to hold it and focus it there. But wow. but without anything else, you can still bring that closer and closer to you over time. So you can you can pin it in place and bring it towards you. And that that's exactly you know even though it's not the mechanism that Star Trek envisioned this was going to take place by. This is an example where real life science has taken a look at if I want to accomplish this using the laws of physics that we have, how can we do it? And they figured it out. That's pretty cool. Oh, interesting. Maybe, you know, give me a, a couple others. What about, um, you know, well, not really teleportation, but kind of teleportation, you know, with the... Uh... Like the ultimate dream, and that's one that I'll say um, it has it has a couple of big obstacles to it. So you've probably heard of quantum teleportation, and this is a real phenomenon. What quantum teleportation allows you to do is you can read in the full quantum state of a system. And then by transporting, I shouldn't use that word, I should say by, um, by entangling some particles with that system and moving those particles just you know, through normal means across space, you can suddenly know the information of that quantum system at any point in time at a very remote location. So this is known as quantum teleportation, and it's the instantaneous transfer of all of the quantum information in a system. Right? So imagine imagine you, Rich, you've got you've got this big quantum state over over where you are. And I want that information. If previously you and I were together and I said, okay, I'm going to entangle some information with your quantum system, and you said, okay, and this could be anything from a single electron to something as complicated as a human being, and I walked away with my entangled information of you, and you say, okay, like, I'm just fine here where I am, and I'll keep doing all my things, 
And I said, and, you know, and, and no one will be the wiser. Well, wherever I am, whenever I choose, I can make that quantum measurement, and I will immediately know what all the quantum information of your system is at any instant in time, arbitrarily far into the future. That's, that's what quantum teleportation is. At any, at any instant in time, I can know all the information in your system. So you can then say, well, what about the dream of a transporter? What can you do for that? And I'll say, well, let's say I've got all the information about whatever it is you want to transport, that, that we've done the entanglement, that I've got all the quantum information on my end, and then what do I do? I make that measurement. And let's say it's of you. Let's say it's of your entire body. And I'm going to say, yes, I've got it now. I've got it all in the system. I've got all the quantum information that makes Rich exactly who he is at exactly this moment in time. And then what we do is we can either take new particles of matter or we can take your original particles of matter and stream them over and I can reconstruct you in that exact same quantum state. That what is... Happens? You're getting you're you're get you're looking at exactly what I'm looking at. And we bring this up in the book too because I think it's really important. On a computer, if you hit control X and control V or command X and command V for you Apple users, um that doesn't delete anything, right? When you cut and paste, that original everything stays intact. All you're doing when you cut and paste is you're moving the address of something. You're saying, okay, this object or this set of information was here, and now I'm just changing the address. I'm just changing the location, but it's the same thing. This is different than if you copy something, you delete the original, and then you paste it. So cut and paste and copy, delete, paste. They may look the same in the end result, but the big difference is the original in one case gets completely destroyed. And that's the big thing I worry about with the transporter, that is that really what's happening in Star Trek every time, you know, you, you hit your chest and you say, beam me up? Is that what happens? Do they, do they just murder you and create an identical copy of you with all of your thoughts and all of your memories that is indistinguishable from who you were except you cease to exist and you've just created a new copy of yourself out of nothing? That's, that's one of the questions that makes me agree with Captain Archer from the prequel series Enterprise, where he said that he wouldn't put his dog through that thing. So I think a real-life transporter might someday be possible, but I would only want to use it on inanimate objects. Oh, okay, okay. Because it necessitates ending you and recreating a copy of you somewhere else. Yeah, so, you know, we explore this a little bit in some of the Star Trek series. Like, there's an episode where Captain Kirk has a transporter um, recreate a, a copy of him. And this, and this copy version of Kirk is, you know, it, it's got a few flaws to it, such as, you know, I think it's, I think it's pretty evil. Um, but, <laughs> but the original Kirk is still there. 
And this happened yeah. in The Next Generation, too, where Will Riker is caught on a station and they try to transport him out and they get him and they were worried about it. And years later, they discover that the Will Riker they pulled out is indistinguishable from the Will Riker who was left behind. And so there are two now in the universe that they've legitimately actually made a copy. And no one knows who's the real Will Riker because in every meaningful sense of the word, they both are. And this is this is one of the things I love about Star Trek is that is that it puts these big ethical questions about humanity and about technology right in your face. And it asks you, it, it makes you ask yourself, like, what is the right thing to do in this difficult situation? Um, yeah. So for me, I think there are a lot of obstacles to be overcome for making a transporter, but the biggest one is what I'll call the you-ness question, that if if I have to murder you or if I have to murder someone and then create a new copy of them in order to transport them, is that is that a viable, feasible, ethical technology to use? And until we overcome that problem, I'm going to say only for inanimate objects. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, what amazes yeah. me is, you know, Star Trek came out in the 60s and the you know, so much of the technology was, was forward. It was all forward thinking, but a lot of it was right and right on, which is amazing. Right. You've got, you've got automatic sliding doors that swoosh open and swoosh closed every time you walk into a supermarket or an airport. They're making, they're making developments now where they combine predictive analytics and infrared imaging to even detect someone's intention, where they can say, oh, don't open that door. This person's just walking by. They're not turning to walk in. And they, so, so this is an example where automatic sliding doors exist today, just like Star Trek envisioned, but, but it's such a widespread ubiquitous technology that that we take it for absolute granted. Also, yeah. um, remember Captain Kirk had the original flip communicators. Those were on the market in the 80s, right? Someone who was very interested in this sort of started looking at, well, what do I need to do to develop this? And he brought it to Motorola in the 70s, and Motorola said, build this. Like, let's work on the miniaturization of the electronics. Let's, let's work on building a network of antennas and satellites, and let's work on uh, building an antenna that can fit into a handheld phone. And through some very clever innovations, the first flip cell phone came to market in 1983, completely wow. based on the Star Trek communicator. And we've moved so far past that now with our smartphones that if you were to take a look at the amount of computing power in one handheld smartphone, it exceeds the entire computing power of Earth when Star Trek first premiered. So who is doing this uh, forward thinking nowadays? Any resources or, uh, you know, I mean, you are by writing this book, but, you know, any other resources or things you look to nowadays for people that are uh, thinking in the future? You know, I think there are a whole suite of advances that are really coming about. There's, um, there's a company called Final Frontier Medical Systems that earlier this year, they won the Qualcomm Tricorder X Prize, 
where they developed a handheld medical device that could scan remotely a patient for all sorts of information and diagnose about a dozen different medical conditions. So by using a combination of multi-wavelength sensor technology, you can measure what someone's body temperature is. You can do gas uh, chromatography and um, mass spectroscopy of the air that they exhale. You can tell what the bacterial content of their skin is. You can tell, um, you can do all these things about blood pressure, heart rate, disease, um, just by remote scanning. And so this is this is really an incredible set of advances. There are people working on cortical implants in people's brains where people who've been blind since birth won't have to have ocular implants or a visor like Geordi from Star Trek The Next Generation did. Instead, they could have a cybernetic implant directly in their brain's visual cortex that's hooked up to a wireless external signal and someone can then go ahead and say, oh, well, if this is the camera I'm using, I can go ahead and say, wow, I can feed that information wirelessly directly into my brain. That's something that I think is incredible. It's estimated that if this technology comes to fruition and goes to market, it can restore sight in up to 85% of those presently afflicted with blindness. Wow. think there's a lot of really forward-thinking things that are happening. But again, with something like that, I also worry about the ethical questions. For example, yeah, of course, no one is going to say, oh, if you could restore sight to a blind person, wouldn't you? And the answer is always yes, but what would you do about cybersecurity in your own mind. We know about computer viruses and computer hackers and people who feed false information in order to obtain their own ends, right? Fake news is a big hot buzzword right now. Imagine if someone was feeding you fake visual information about the world around you directly into your brain. They could kill you, they could cause you to take an action you would never take otherwise, it's literally opening you up to having your very mind hacked. And that's Mm. terrifying in and of itself. Um, So I do think that as we come about um, developing these new technologies, as, as some of the Star Trek and Vision technologies come to fruition, it's important to keep asking those ethical questions and to keep safeguarding ourselves against any possible, you know, nefarious action or malapplication of of such an incredible technology. Any um, <clears throat> any things you thought of that you wish or you wish will be invented or created? What you know? What are the moonshots in your mind, and what would you love to see? You know. From from Star Trek, we have we have quite a few, right? I I would love to see the phaser get created. I would love to just live in a world where um, where you don't need to use lethal force to disable a target. You know, a taser is available, but tasers for one, don't disable targets all the time, and two, you have to be very close range. You have to make physical contact. 
Over the last decade, the U.S. military has been developing a weapon that might be able to be a real-life application of a phaser. What they have is a two-phased electromagnetic pulse, and right now it needs to be vehicle-mounted. It's, it's large, and it, you know, you'd need something like a tank to, to operate it. But what you can do is at a range of up to two kilometers – you can send a two-phased pulse at the target, and this is good enough that it will work in vacuum. So you don't even need um, the atmosphere to be a medium for this pulse. You can do this theoretically in the depths of deep space. The first pulse, what it does is it's higher energy ionizing radiation. So when it hits its target, as long as that target is made out of atoms, it's going to knock some electrons off of that surface of the atoms. So you'll create this ionized plasma. And it'll be hot, but it won't be hot enough to burn you. The big benefit you get is you have this cloud of ionized particles just hanging out extremely close to the target. Then you send that second pulse, and the second pulse is lower energy radiation. It's infrared radiation, but it's high-powered infrared radiation. When that radiation hits the plasma, the plasma is extremely efficient at absorbing that energy. So it absorbs the energy, it heats up, and it expands incredibly rapidly. That rapid expansion acts as a concussive explosion. And so it can knock a target off its feet, it can knock someone out, but it poses, if you set it to the right power setting, just like you would a phaser, it poses no lethal risk. And for that, it's far better than a taser or rubber bullets, which, you know, if you hit someone in their eye with a rubber bullet, that will go right into their brain and, and has killed people in the past. Uh, this, is, this is potentially one of the greatest boons we could give to law enforcement to aid them in enforcing the law and enforcing justice and order in a non-lethal fashion. I think that would be a huge benefit to society. Another one that I think is coming up on the horizon is synthahol. Alcoholism is still a very big problem in this country and in this world. Cirrhosis of the liver kills thousands of people every year, and drunk driving and alcohol-related accidents and even homicides are a very large problem. But if we can go ahead and develop this synthetic version as Star Trek envisioned it, where you can enjoy all of the positive effects that alcohol brings, the increased confidence, the euphoria, the, the, the good feelings without having any of the bad ones, without the dehydration, without the loss of brain cells, without the nausea or the loss of equilibrium or the loss of memory or the physical damage you do to yourself, wouldn't you like to have that? Well, yeah. pharmacologists have been developing, they've been investigating how does alcohol work, and they've been investigating how can we develop a drug analog for alcohol that has the positive effects, that doesn't have the negative effects, and moreover, has an antidote so that when the captain calls red alert or that when someone has an accident and you have to drive them to the hospital, you can immediately be back to your stone-sober state and able to do your job. 
Well, hmm. they are working on that. They have made tremendous progress towards that. They've discovered right. the molecule responsible for all of the effects of alcohol, and it's GABA, it's called GABA, G-A-B-A, which is short for gamma alpha butyric acid, I think. I might have butchered that a little bit. Um, so what you do is you have different GABA receptors in your body. They have different subunits on them. And the molecules you produce when you have, you know, alcohol in your system, they bind to all of these different GABA subunit receptors. But they've developed classes of drugs related to Valium and Clonopan and, and others in this class that will only bind to a subset of those receptors. And so if you can engineer something that it specifically binds to the receptors you want, but not to the receptors you don't, you could have this incredibly successful alcohol substitute that people can experience the good effects without experiencing the negative effects of alcohol. And there even is an inhibitor molecule that you can give someone just in pill form that will kick all of those GABA molecules out of the receptors and, per, and, and immediately return you to a sober state. Now, the ones they have sure. of those today have issues like side effects. They, they can cause seizures in some people and so on. And so ideally, we'd like to get those ironed out. But when you think about moonshots in terms of medical or biological or computational technologies, Star Trek has envisioned so many that are pretty much, you know, well on their way. Very interesting. All right, so last question or two. Uh, is this book for the layperson? You know, how much science do you need to know in order to be able to read it and enjoy it? I, I think this book is absolutely geared towards the layperson. There are no equations in the book at all. I think perhaps E equals MC squared gets mentioned in there, but that's it. This book is really written for someone who loves science, even if you don't have a strong background in science. If you're interested in technology and how it's going to shape our world and our future, if you're interested in Star Trek and science fiction and how close some of the dreams of the far future are to becoming real, or if you're just interested in learning what the frontiers of science are and what we're doing to push them forward, I think this is a great read for anyone of any educational background. Okay. Well, very good. So uh, I know, you know, firsthand that the book's on Amazon. It's available. Is it on Kindle? Is it on Audible? Where can people get it? Uh, right now, it's right now it's only available in hardcover, and it's available wherever books are sold, including on Amazon, at Barnes and Noble, and at many independent bookstores across the country. Anyone that stocks Hachette should have it. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Ethan Siegel, again, author of the book Technology. Uh, I advise listeners to check it out because uh, Ethan's really good at explaining these difficult concepts in a simple way, and you know, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. And just just if anyone has any questions about what are the most impossible technologies, we've got a few of those. I'm still, although I'll tell you what it takes to make them true in the book, I'm still pretty skeptical about technologies like artificial gravity and warp drive. So keep your eye peeled for those. Very good.
The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.